The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Six. Six goddamn times I have tried to record this intro. Uh, Yada, yada, yada. Thanks for listening to the Piercing Wizard podcast. I am going to be in St. Petersburg, Russia. As I uh, post this episode, I'm going to be teaching a, a quite a few classes over there, and I've spent weeks working on them. I'm really proud of how they came out. Uh, the septum class and the tongue class, I spent a lot of time revamping those, making them look a lot better, uh, tweaking the information, and a lot of that is thanks to uh, working with Becky Dill at the conference this year on our nipple piercing class. Now, Becky just has really dynamic, really nice looking presentations. We put a lot of work into it and just watching how she puts together a class, you know, I think, you know, white background and stick some information on it. And Becky makes it a lot more interesting to look at, but, you know, doesn't lose any of the information, just makes it more palatable to digest it. So I've been updating a lot of my classes uh, with some of the the different concepts that I've learned by by working with Becky. So thank you, Becky, for making my classes better. Um, A huge thank you to Jane Absent. Jane, you might remember, was on the show a few weeks ago, uh, the VPP, talking about the German piercing organization. Jane is uh, Russian and uh, took a lot of time to translate my septum piercing class and my tongue class handout. So I'll have those in Russian for people. Really excited for that and really thoughtful of you, Jane, while, while you're rushing and trying to get ready for this conference, you're helping out me while I'm also trying to rush and get ready for this conference, so thank you. I've also got uh, a new version of my navel piercing class, uh, kind of a tweak on what I did last year for UK APP, and then brand new class on daith piercings, doth piercings, however you want to pronounce it, and that's actually part of the class is talking about where that, that word doth, daith comes from and the pronunciation and correct usage and all that stuff, so really looking forward to teaching that class at Russia and, and beyond. I'm most likely going to be teaching it also at the BMXNet conference in Germany in September. And the other day I, I submitted it to the APP's curriculum committee to potentially teach it at conference next year. Uh, I've got an entire class done with a presentation with notes and everything. And all I had to do was just send it along and they can look at it and evaluate it and, and see if it might be right for conference next year. And fingers crossed, you know, I hope it is. My guest this week is Jacob Spute. And Jacob is one of the body piercers who uh, probably is, is quite frustrated at people mispronouncing his last name, much in the way that people can't necessarily pronounce Willette most of the time. But we talk about a, a really important subject, and you've heard me mention my, my take on it, um, elitism in, in body piercing. When I went out to conference this year, I was asking a lot of people, who should I be talking to on the podcast, and what should we be talking about on the podcast? And Jacob's name came up more than once because of a a really well-thought-out article that he wrote for uh, The Point. That's the APP's Journal of Body Piercing. You can read that uh, for free if you want. You can go to safepiercing.org. It's issue number 86. That's the spring 2019 issue, and the article is titled... Learning to Love the Taste of Fire, Elitism in Body Piercing. And it's a really well-written article. You should definitely give it a, a good read. 
And just some of the concepts we talk about are really important, you know, uh, talking about how there's there's nothing inherently wrong with there being elite body piercers, but, you know, maybe there being elitist body piercers can be a bit of a negative. Uh, elite body piercers, you know, you spend 10, 20 years in a, in a career, you, you work really hard to improve your skills, you know, being elite can be a really good thing. But being elitist and maybe saying that your opinion is more valid than other people's opinions, whether or not you can back those opinions up with with proof or science or peer review or or whatever, uh, elitism can can really hurt and hold back a lot of our industry. So we, we talk about some of those concepts. It's not really just about that though. It's a it's a really wide reaching conversation. Jacob is a, a really good person to just talk about issues with because uh, it, it's less about emotions and it's more about reason. And I really like having those conversations with body piercers because it's it's just refreshing. Because when you look at Facebook, it's the opposite of a reasoned uh, a reasonable argument. So. Uh, we talk about different things uh, like it's not two sides of a coin between safe and unsafe for work practices. There, there are certainly unsafe work practices. You know, an example would be reusing a needle. I mean, hopefully everybody knows that you would never, ever do that. Um, but then when it comes to safe, there's also another layer on top of that. There's safer. And what we talk about is safe being that kind of realm of acceptable minimum standards, industry accepted minimum standards. We definitely talk about sterile gloves and if those should be a minimum standard. Oh, 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 something, that, you know, at the end of this episode, what I want you to think about is uh, there are unsafe work practices that you're avoiding and you're aiming for minimum standards or higher, and those minimum standards are safe, acceptable standards. When you think uh, of a body piercer putting in work, sterilizing, and uh, quality of jewelry and all those things, uh, you can work at a safe level. But then, as you as you try to focus on becoming maybe one of those elite, not elitist, but elite body piercers where you're honing your craft and you're constantly trying to improve your skill, um, you can be doing safer work practices. So a really ideal example would be going from non-sterile gloves to going to sterile gloves. So yeah, I, I will say that you know sterile gloves are going to be a safer option than non-sterile gloves. But I'm also not going to say that non-sterile gloves are an unsafe option. That's what the majority of the body piercing industry worldwide is using. And if you are the type of body piercer who is going to say that all of those other thousands of body piercers out there, your peers, your colleagues, your friends, the people that are gonna be sitting right next to you in those classes, maybe teaching those classes, uh, if you're gonna say that they are unsafe because they're using non-sterile gloves, you might be one of those elitist body piercers where you really kind of can't see past your own uh, opinion and your own experiences. So uh, maybe you should take an extra solid listen to this episode and really think about, okay, there's unsafe, sure, then there's safe and there's safer. I am the, the type of piercer who wants to push people towards safer, but I'm not going to say that safe is unacceptable. I'm not going to say that safe is unsafe. If, if you know, am, am I just being like a little too ridiculous with my with my word usage right now, uh, with semantics? But let's get into the uh, the interview with with Jacob in a minute, and we'll kind of like talk it out, you know. Uh, other stuff that's going on, you know, I gotta plug my classes again. We got Dallas, July 8th. Um, not a ton of people uh, registered for that class. I think it's because Texas is gigantic and it's just kind of silly. I've got around a dozen people, which is kind of a smaller class than I'm used to, but I think it's going to be a really solid group of people. I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be fun. And I've got two wrestling shows on that trip as a bonus. Still trying to talk uh, Aaron Pollock into coming to Dallas and hanging out with me for it, though. 
Uh, a week later, I'll be going to Amsterdam, and that class is essentially full. I might be able to squeeze in one or two other people, um, but if you haven't already registered for the class in Amsterdam, you might be out of luck. But still, send me a message or send me an email, ryanpba at gmail.com. I'll see what I can do for you, but probably going to be uh, full up for that Amsterdam class uh, on July 15th. Um, Maryland uh, on Monday, August 26th. That's going to be at Freya, Matt Bonantono's new studio in Gambrels, Maryland. Uh, that one, I'm already getting a, a solid amount of people for it. Um, uh, trying to pack stuff like this. You know, I really like doing these classes with uh, people who have been to a class more than once, you know, and I can really kind of see what has worked for them, what kind of information they took from the seminars and uh, what they've incorporated into their, their studios and maybe get some feedback about you know, how I can convey my information a little bit better, all these different things. In Maryland, since it's going to be probably about half people that were at my last Maryland seminar, I'm not going to be doing the same subject. I'm not going to be doing bevel theory for this one. I'm going to be doing my uh, triple threat class. That's going to be a, a, a class on anatomy, then a class on septums, and then a class on nipple piercings. Should be a really good day. Uh, and then uh, a week later, I'm going to be doing that same triple threat seminar in Chicago, and that's going to be on Sunday, September 1st. Uh, so if you want to sign up for those, you know, go ahead again, shoot me an email, ryanpba@gmail.com. You can go to precisionbodyarts.com slash seminars, or you can follow Body Art Education by Ryan Willett on Facebook. Uh, in that September 1st one, I'm actually working on, uh, trying to get some promo footage. I've been trying to talk John Balk into coming to Chicago. He was doing a, a video project for, uh, Kale and the, the APP and, and outreach at conference. Really excited to see the footage you got from that. And, uh, you know, I just really like John. I think he's just the right person to get some promo footage for me for these classes. And maybe I can edit together some sort of, a commercial type thing or something like that. Get it on YouTube and kind of give people an idea of what goes on in my classes, the information and all that stuff. And as a bonus, I get to hang out with John. He's a pretty cool guy. He's pretty fun to hang out with. Uh, I can also kind of give you a little bit of sneak preview information for a class that I haven't officially announced or, or put online yet. Um, and that's going to be Monday, October 28th in Fort Myers, Florida at Tiger Lotus. That's John Robertson studio. Uh, the date will be Monday, October 28th. So if you're a Florida area piercer, or if you feel like coming to Florida, uh, Monday, October 28th in Fort Myers. So uh, I think that's going to be it for now. You know, I'm, I'm going to have more classes popping up uh, throughout the fall, but I think I really just want to get up till November, maybe. Uh, and, and, and then I'll figure out the rest from there. Uh, Australia is still on my mind. I got to figure out how to get there. But let's get into the interview with Jacob Spute. And uh, I'll be back a little bit after that. Okay, so we are in Las Vegas. We're in my hotel room, and uh, I, I I ask people all the time, who should I be talking to and who should I be interviewing? And a bunch of people suggested you because of an article you wrote in The Point recently. Yeah. Uh, so I thought, we're here, and this would be a great opportunity to, to chat with you. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Say uh, your, your studio or any sort of other information you might want people to have. Sure. I'm flattered, people. Thank you. Uh, my name is Jacob Spute. I work at Prison Body Piercing in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, I've been piercing 13 years. Uh, yeah, I, I wrote an article about elitism in the industry and why it's not always a bad thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> at, at least some nuance to that point, anyway. Um, yeah, this is my seventh conference. Wow. Um, in your first conference, you were one an of the Aldi. scholars, yeah, right? I yeah, I mean, I yeah. remember when you applied. And yeah. Was I one of the people that interviewed you? You did interview oh, me, yeah. okay. It was horrifying. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, every year people say that, and every year it's just like, I'm 
she's you know there's a lot of piercing. stress involved with like going through the process right. and so you hear you hear someone you know mm-hmm. like it's like i know who this person is and they're calling you on your cell phone yeah and it's kind of jarring yeah and then and then they're questioning you mm-hmm. and you're like i you want to be honest but you also don't want to be like uh well you know i probably won't be that good but yeah. it, it's it it's nerve-wracking but it was good. i think some people expect me expect that i'm going to be like quizzing them or something like that or like trying to trick them uh, you know like Tell me the exact operating pressure of a statum sterilizer, or you can't come to conference. Right? Yeah, yeah it was a good conversation. Hmm. You were you were very kind about it. Oh well, yeah, I'm so. glad to hear that at least. Yeah. Now now the LDs who apply later on, they won't be so scared. Hopefully. Right. Well, hopefully. <laughs> uh, so, before we kind of start talking about kind of the subject of the article, what's it been like starting out? as part of that kind of uh, scholar community and then coming back to conference and seeing kind of wider swipes of the the industry every year, you know, meeting people from different regions, different countries, all the different jewelry vendors. What's that been like for you, for you personally and for your career? Um, it's, it's a very unique experience. It's, it's hard to articulate because it's an, an you have to experience it mm-hmm. to kind of get the dynamic, uh, especially considering the attitude that a lot of attendees have. So going from Aldi where you're just scared shitless all the time, you, yeah. you know, you, there's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. there and you interact with people who want to keep the pressure on, but also want to help see you through that pressure, mm-hmm. uh, kind of opens one up to the experience, uh, in a way where when you start coming back, you are able to really kind of dive headfirst into all these interactions mm-hmm. and the evolution of that, you know, if you're looking for work, you can use that dynamic. If you're looking just to make connections, you can use that dynamic. That dynamic. There's a lot of positives that come with that pressure. Yeah. So it, it kind of becomes this wide branching uh, force that you're able to use essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I'm not one to introduce myself to a lot of people. Um, I'm, I got the no hug, you know, banner and yeah. Um, but it's only because my interactions are built over time with mm-hmm. people and but here people are just so like affectionate i would argue that's somewhat it's um, kind of like it's like its own little one off environment yeah. because i am not i'm not like like i would never out in the world be walking through a shopping mall and just be like hey and just right. go and give somebody a hug you know right. um so it, it's different and i think it's because a lot of body piercers we all have our connections when we go home. We all have our partners and our friends and our coworkers and all that stuff. But I, I don't think we ever really feel that same kind of level of fellowship as when we're at some sort of industry uh, event like this. So I think sure. people kind of really ramp up the the affection. They do for sure, and it, it, part of it is you, you, there's a certain comfort level. Um, you're here for similar reasons mm-hmm. um, with goals that that really matter to you as a professional and individual. Um, I would argue that it's slightly ramped up in a somewhat negative way because I think showing uh, affection that's not genuine is a mm-hmm. little detrimental to mm-hmm. relationships. Um, and not to say that people are trying to be uh, coy about how they're interacting, but right. really it's almost expected of you to be. It humble. is. Uh, just just the fact that there are hug and no hug ribbons and like the no hug ribbons, those exist because you're going to get hugged unless you're wearing one of those ribbons. Right. But it, it, yeah, out in the world, it's like how many times do, does somebody just walk up and hug you? Literally never. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's its own little microcosm. Yeah. And I, I think that there's a positive in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, it, it 
outside of the physical touch, it, there's a certain um, dynamic that I would say is less, you know, ingenuous as it should be, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but people, they're not bad, so they're not doing anything wrong. It's yeah. just, it, it's it's a, I would say, cultural thing, mm-hmm. like a, a conference culture of that interaction. Right. Which right. can be off-putting, going back to the Aldi Scholar part, is it's jarring. Yeah, because you know? maybe you don't feel like you're... Did you feel do you feel even more like an outsider if you're a first time attendee and you're you're working and you're one of those people who's really like they're they're doing a lot of work yeah. and helping and all that stuff and then you see all these other people standing in front of you smiling best of friends <laughs> hugging yeah, yeah absolutely because it unless until you experience it again you you don't recognize what that dynamic actually is mm-hmm. that it's been a year people are happy to see each other they've yeah. created these groups from attending or even like going shop to shop like people who guest and, and all that uh so when you see that from the outside when in your first year and you're already have all this you know stress going on mm-hmm. and you're like how how is it that they have these deep relationships again you know it goes back to some of them probably aren't as deep as they appear on the sure. surface but sure. it still is something you're like whoa how does that happen mm-hmm. but then you you get through the week and you actually recognize what that dynamic is yeah. and it opens you up to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially you start attending again and again, it just becomes more open and yeah. open and open and just revealing yourself. And then, mm-hmm. but that also goes back to the no hugging thing. You reveal yourself to be the kind of person that doesn't interact in that way. And people kind of respect that, mm-hmm. that boundary. Yeah. I've gotten a lot of, of handshakes. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of people so. where I walk up and I just give them like the, the nod yeah. or a fist bump or a handshake right. or something like that. And I'm, I'm trying to uh, you know, if I can do that, dart down to the, the the badge, and it's not just to remember the person's name, but it's also do they have one of those hug or no hug ribbons? Right. Uh, and then if they don't have anything, it's always like a oh hey, can I give you a hug? And it's yeah. like no, I'm not really a hug person. Cool. So anyway, how's your week going? Right. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it. Um, I don't really know how to put my finger on it sometimes, but you you can definitely have friendships that really only exist at conference. You know, sure. you might not call the person once you get back home, sure. or you might not go visit them. But when you see them at conference, you're genuinely happy to see them yeah, because absolutely. maybe you had some sort of connection to them in a absolutely. previous year or something yeah. like that. And it is it is difficult to, especially if you have friends from other countries, and to stay in constant contact. I mean, social media helps, but mm. you know, social media is used so differently by individuals, and I, I would say that it's, it's unreasonable to expect people to stay in constant contact yeah I don't everybody's think got it, their own lives yeah, when they go home. I don't think it degrades the relationship so yeah but you know seeing it once again going back to the Aldi part seeing it initially and then growing from there is a very uh, organic process mm. and some people take longer than others but yeah uh, the new Aldis this year, you know, you, you can see that they really kind of honed in on what the culture is in yeah. the volunteer group and in the conference in, in general, and it, it's a positive thing to see. So, starting out as a scholar, uh, how has your conference experience affected your, your career? Um, very, very well. Yeah. Um, when I was an Aldi, I just opened up like a tiny little shop because I had to get out of a very bad shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was through connections that I made in the volunteer group that I was able to uh, get the opportunity to interview at the studio I'm at now. Yeah. Um, which I don't think would have happened. It wouldn't have happened without volunteering, being mm-hmm. in conference. Um, and I've been there. All, it'll be coming up on five years here shortly. Awesome. And it's been great. Great. It's a great experience. Yeah. I think that there are some savvy shop owners who kind of scan the volunteer group because 
some people might, you know, if there are people out there who look at a hierarchy and they might think, okay, there are the people like the gym wards and the people where it's like you have whole events in their honor and some of the years are a theme about them, like mm-hmm. Fakir with this year, like mm-hmm. you can instantly see that that person is a planet with their own gravity and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And then you have instructors and then you have this and then you have that. And sometimes I think volunteers might feel like they're kind of really at the bottom of that ladder sometimes because mm-hmm. they don't they don't get a lot of the thanks uh, from overall the the, the conference, sure. you know? And, um, uh, but they're the ones that do probably the most work out of anybody. So I think the, the shop owners that really know that, they, they're constantly like sharks, like swimming around, like watching what the volunteers do. And sure. a lot of them are kind of scouting for talent and, yeah. and hiring people up because they know that like they're there for a reason, you know, especially yeah. if you got a scholarship, like you mm-hmm. earn those scholarships. Right. Uh, so it's it's really cool to see the people get the opportunities that they deserve and get linked up with shops that can really appreciate their their abilities yeah. and their and their talents. Absolutely, yeah. and and you know the shop owners who do kind of seek out that talent, like they they have a certain a certain bar already set pretty high, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it means something. That this isn't like a brag in my situation, but I've seen a lot of other scholars do the same thing, mm-hmm. where they are able to then keep pushing, you know, it gives them the opportunity to keep pushing. Yeah. It's very easy to see, uh, you're having received a scholarship as mm-hmm. I earned this. I'm awesome. You know, you can feel, you know, good about it. I mean, it's definitely something to instill it is, pride. It is, but you can also view it as like, well, I already did the hard part. Mm-hmm. Like now I can just, do me but you really have to keep pushing yeah and you know some people they find even volunteering is just not their jam you know they 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 want to just attend conference they had the experience and just doesn't feel right something like fit sure and i totally get that you know it's 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 a it's a culture within a culture within a culture Mm -hmm. and it just it goes down and down and it becomes very unique and sometimes you just don't fit in right Um, but that doesn't mean that again going back to opportunities Mm -hmm that they're not there, yeah. but you really have to kind of use it properly. You have to really work. At well, a really good example that I like to point out is Monica Sabin. Mm-hmm. I think she got a scholarship a year before you yeah. roughly. Yeah. And now she's on the, the board of directors, right? You know, and she's had all these opportunities and it, they weren't opportunities that someone handed out to her out of pity or, or, right. you know, um, like a diversity hire kind right. of thing. It, it, she, she was put in front of an opportunity and she just ate it alive yeah. and then she went after the next one, yeah. you know, and look at, look at where she's gotten. I know it's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. So kind of tying that into your, your article with the concept of uh, elitism, how there can be some good and there can be some bad with that. Yeah. What are some of the things that were kind of inspiring you to, to write an article like that? Well, um, I started writing it right after conference last year. Um, and it, it kind of addresses two uh, interacting points that are very important in where the industry is now. Mm-hmm. It's the concept of elitism, and it's also the education of new piercers and their understanding of what the term elitism means Mm -hmm. and being able to define the difference between being an elitist and being an elite. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way that I try to argue my point is that while elitism exists within the industry, it was far more prominent, say, a decade, decade plus ago Mm -hmm. than it is now. But we have a certain vernacular in our industry that uses these terms to denote people who say uh, refuse to c- 
concede that sterile gloves are just over the top. They, mm-hmm. they say this is this is a requirement. This is where our safety standards should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's obviously a whole other conversation about what constitutes. I think I'm going to have that conversation with Shorty at some point <laughs> this week too. Yeah, I, th- I think there's you know there's the concept of minimal standards and or minimum standards and the concept of like safety mm-hmm. you know, and like these are different things but yeah. I don't want to digress um, but anyone who maintains a very strong opinion on things um, I'm gonna I'm gonna use my boss as an example uh, he is very adamant about surface finish mm-hmm. and what constitutes a reasonable level of smoothness on our jewelry and things below that level he considers unsafe Mm -hmm. and I would agree Um, and the idea that something could be more safe and not trying to approach that safety level is being not a bad piercer again vernacular is important but being a less safe piercer Mm -hmm. now the nuance of that argument comes into well where's the line of what's reasonably safe and what's not but it it doesn't change the fact that there is a safer point, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but you have someone who's adamant about something, and then another person comes along and says, "Well, I, I don't care about that standard. You know, I've been doing something this way for this long and mm-hmm. had this success rate, and you're just saying that because you're looking down. You're saying everyone else is a piece of shit piercer because you're doing this and we're not. Right. And the problem with that comes into where it comes into the plague of new piercers learning is that they're seeing these two people. And I would say the two people have to be well-respected in the industry to have as large of an impact, but you have these two people with two different points of view. One of them outright denies and calls one elitist. And now the other one uh, says like, well, you know, you're, you're not doing it safe. And there's, they're not allowing for the discourse in the middle. Mm-hmm. And you have young piercers who are seeing this and they they believe there's a lot of ambiguity between the points. Like choose a side. Yeah. Like, choose, yeah, like it, yeah. it, you know, that it's like, well, we can be one or we can be the other, but you have to allow for that nuanced approach and come to common conclusions on how you're talking about things. And, why you're talking about it and setting standards for that conversation mm-hmm. not to say one again is right or wrong it's just there's there has to be the conversation about why one believes what they believe and we're not having that as an industry yeah or it's uh, another problem is just like well this is just how i do it and they they let others run mm-hmm. with whatever they want to do i feel like it's almost a cop-out though it is i, I believe it yeah. i i think that you know you can say like there are a lot of approaches to piercing. It's not a right and wrong. I believe this is safer. This is why. And when you say things like that, like this is safer, mm-hmm. people assume that you're saying, well, now, because I believe your process is less safe, that you are less than. Sure. Um, and I don't think that we should be having conversations like that. Mm-hmm. And I believe that there is an an elite set of piercers in our industry who contribute and they adjust and they continue to make improvements mm-hmm. and, and they're, they're in constant flux. Um, but I also believe there's elite piercers who are stuck in their ways, who refuse to bend on any, anything, um, and who don't take criticism whatsoever. Sure. 
And I think I think it's that that tier of piercer can be on both sides of an argument too. They can sometimes they can be intractable either way. Like yeah, I know that that's a thing out there, but no, no, I'm fine. Or it's it has to be done this way, and it's like yeah. no, I'm not going to talk about any other acceptable standards. Right, and there there's nothing wrong with really sticking to an idea. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, no one. No one's going to say, oh, well, you know, externally threaded jewelry is just a okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but there might be someone who's going to play devil's advocate and say, yes, but that's all. Again, digressing. Um, but if we're not allowing these elite piercers to have these conversations and we're still elevating those who refuse to, we're doing the industry a disservice. Mm-hmm. And it becomes difficult because you have people who really do influence and we have a lot to thank for where we're at. But they become so complacent in their position that we just let them be. We let them, let's say, you know, spread information that can have potential issues with new piercers. Mm -hmm. Like, well, you know, just do this. It's totally whatever. It doesn't even matter. Like you start creating that mindset of young piercers, they're going to become the same way. They're going to be five years in and totally happy with where they're at, never push and, Mm -hmm. and things like that. I think we should hold those elite piercers to a higher standard. I think we they should be the true leaders of the industry because they are considered that, mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily behave in that way. And I, I think it's really important that we acknowledge that and we really do push our industry leaders. We, we as, a, as a totality push them because mm-hmm. um, it's the benefit for everyone. Unfortunately, it's just not happening. Everyone it, it lionizes certain characters and, and yeah. they become untouchable. And yeah. some try to touch them and they just get shot down. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. What I, what I think is kind of lacking in a lot of the conversations is acknowledging the fact that people weren't born an elite piercer. Uh, so even those piercers who are 20 years in and they're the, the top of the field... Uh, they had to push and work to, to get mm-hmm. there. And it's it's difficult sometimes. Like I, criticism that I've gotten sometimes is, uh, you know, I, I, I operated a certain standard in my studio. Things like surface polish and sterilization and sterile gloves and all these things are a key component of what I offer in my studio. And when I get out and I teach, when I'm teaching here, when I'm teaching at, at different conferences, I always like to have conversations and say, um, you know, these classes are going to be based on a foundation of minimum standard, and then I'm going to kind of talk about the things that I've added on top of that foundation. So a lot of times when, when the conversations of things like jewelry or uh, sterile gloves, non-sterile gloves comes up, I, I like to kind of say, sure, I definitely did this 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but I made the decision to start doing this and this, and now I see that as my personal minimum standard whether that's, you know, debatably the, the industry minimum standard or not. Uh, sometimes when I have conversations with people who are very staunchly in the, the camp for something like sterile gloves, is a perfect example for, for a conversation like this. Sure. Sometimes they get really upset with me because uh, the argument I'm trying to make isn't sterile gloves are not important. It's that sterile gloves are... Uh, a point in a journey and some piercers can't do it day one uh, they might have to work towards that goal the same way a lot of piercers have to work towards upping their jewelry game and upping their studio layout and things like mm-hmm. that and I don't want to be dismissive of the piercers who are still pushing that rock up the hill sure. to get there and mm-hmm. I don't want the piercers who are at the top of the hill acting like they didn't have to push their own boulder to, to mm-hmm. get up there sure yeah it, it is it is a very good 
analogy. You know, that we constantly debating the issue of sterile gloves. My my issue is not that we recognize that people can't quite reach that point. Mm. It's that some uh, influencers say like, it's okay. I think people should be pushed. Like, mm. you know, you're where you're at. I understand. I empathize with where your position is and your situation. Yeah. But, this but you need to push. Goal you need to or like. Goal. Yeah, you have to. You have to continue to want people to push. Mm-hmm. And I think the issue is not that people recognize that they're there and that's okay. As long as you're fighting, it's that a lot of people are just like, it's fine. Just you're fine where mm-hmm. you're at. Or they have they themselves have reached a certain point and they just don't care to move forward. Mm-hmm. Or they give the reason being they just they don't see it as necessary and i think there's some concession that can be made there Mm -hmm. um from both sides but you can't have an argument that says well you are wrong Mm. like well i believe i'm right this is why it's obviously there's nuance to it you know sure it becomes really difficult because the words we use when trying to have these conversations uh don't have the precision that they have to have and a lot of times when you have these conversations, there's emotion to it because right. you're defending, maybe defending a strong word, but you're, um, you're, you're pushing your, your personal opinion, yeah. but also a lot of times these personal opinions are backed up by data. Yeah. So sometimes people get really emotional when they're trying to explain their point of view. It's true. I mean, polarization is common in our species, of course, but the, uh, the issue from the industry point of view is that we should be considering things outside of ourselves um, when discussing things to others, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm totally okay with people using vernacular like, this is my personal opinion, um, but I'm not okay with saying, uh, people saying like, well, my opinion is just as valid as any other opinion, Mm -hmm. because it's just not true. There are bad opinions. There are bad practices that people think that are okay, Mm -hmm. um, that maybe not even necessarily uh, are lower than uh, the minimum standards of, of the Association of Professional Piercers. There, there's, there's reason to believe that you as a piercer should be able to attain a certain level of practice um, without saying, <laughs> if you don't do this, you're a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I think that's where it becomes really difficult. I would argue that the minimum standards shouldn't maybe be even brought back a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other conversation. But yeah, yeah. And the I really want people to understand that their industry is in their control. Mm-hmm. And if you're a piercer amongst the the masses who works in a, a good shop, but you don't you don't teach, you don't go to you know you don't get involved with a lot of the teachers or the, a lot of the industry leaders. You're just kind of there for the ride. You still have the power mm-hmm. and not, not in the sense like, Oh, become an APP member and vote for the board, which is important. But in a, in a broader sense, like if you're online, you have power. Yeah. If a, if a piercer in, in a position, uh, you know, that's teaching a class is saying things online that you disagree with, you should be able to, to confront them mm-hmm. without being ostracized by, they're, they're friends, yeah. you know, and it does become somewhat of a club. Mm-hmm. So you're you're part of that that group, right? Sure. And people look up to you in what you say and how you approach it. Um, I took your uh, safe practices in the piercing room, you know, um, and it was a good class, I'll tell you. Thank you. Um, and you touched upon this a bit where you 
said, even going back to sterile gloves, that you believe that this is the safer option mm. and not to be dismissive of the other option. Um, and during that conversation, the discussion on how to properly don gloves, it was brought up like, if you don't do this properly, it is no longer mm-hmm. sterile. And then just moments later, it was shown um, to be done in a prop- in- improperly mm-hmm. without it being called out as improper. Sure. You know? And I think in those instances, um, a teacher should recognize that and use it as a teaching opportunity. Mm-hmm. But it's hard because you don't want, you know, you have instructors who put a lot of time into something and they're up there and it's, it's, I've never taught, I'm not very good speaking in front of people. Um, but they're there, they're, they're likely nervous, there's mistakes are gonna be made. Mm-hmm. So it's not about saying, well, he fucked up, so he, he's obviously terrible at this. Yeah. But a pr- being able to say, did you see how he did that wrong or mm-hmm. how they did that wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, and not take it personally, yeah. you know? And I think going, like what you said, it, it is hard not to be, take it personally. Mm-hmm. It is a personal thing, you know? Nobody likes to be criticized. No. Even if you're the type of person, like for myself, I try to put it out there as much as possible. Uh, I would appreciate your constructive criticism. Right. And sometimes that softens it up a little bit. Yeah. But sometimes when I get even really well thought out constructive criticism, you know, I'll, I'll keep the smile on my face and be like, "That's thank you for that that input. And then as soon as I'm by myself, it's like, I'm the worst at what I'm doing. This is terrible. Yeah. I, but people also get defensive, which is a Absolutely. huge issue. And sometimes and, they only get defensive of their emotions, not necessarily their position. Right. And I understand. I, I'm not saying we should all be robots or just read Seneca and practice stoicism and just like let it all roll out, you know, and, and just move on. But I do think that people should be able to, in those positions, take some fucking criticism. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I think people need to learn how to criticize, yeah. which is also very important. Right. And I, I, one thing I'm hearing pretty constantly is if someone has an issue with something that's said in a class, they are afraid to say something because they don't know how to come off as not sounding like an asshole. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really bad way of thinking about it. You know, you're only coming off as an asshole if they see you as coming off as an asshole in most situations. Granted, you can come off as an asshole by being an asshole. Oh, well, yeah. um, and there are plenty of people who have done that and thought it as a positive when it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, most people, when they say something, it's sincere and it's it'll sound like them being an asshole only if it's taken that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that young piercers and piercers, even old piercers who are starting to really like get into like minimum standards and, and doing things what we would deem as in a in a safe, proper way, should be able to to learn and, and approach these people mm-hmm. or learn from and approach these people, but also break down what they disagree with or yeah. in, or given the opportunity to disagree, be shown otherwise, and grow from it. Mm-hmm. But we just don't have that dynamic. Well, uh, a tool that, that I've, I've heard from people is just ask them to clarify and explain their point. Rather than saying, I disagree with your point because of this conflicting information, I uh, just say, oh, could you clarify that a little bit? Could you explain the reasoning behind it? Or you know, have, is there scientific information to, to back that up because I'm unaware of that being a viable option for me or something? And then when people have to stop and kind of defend their point with merit, sometimes they can see like, 
oh, maybe I'm only doing this because I saw someone else do this once or someone yeah. mentioned you can do this, but I don't know why I'm doing it. And maybe that can make them stop and think about the actual merits of what they're doing. Sure. Yeah, that that is a wonderful way of going about it. Um, it kind of takes the, the emotional side of it out of the equation and mm. makes it just a little more uh, of, a, of a discussion of, of facts yeah. than anything. Um, but I do think that there's room for people to be somewhat argumentative mm-hmm. um, because it's important to get the truth out of an individual. You know, it's really easy to be like, oh, I'll take that into consideration, as you said, you know, and, and just kind of let it, let that lie. Yeah. Um, but if you really kind of engage and you're, you're not fighting, but like having a discourse, right. you know, that's a super important part of mm-hmm. furthering a conversation. And I think that people shouldn't be afraid of that. And people should be open to that. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's two sides. I think I said in my article, it's two sides of the same coin. You have to be open to criticizing. You have to be open to criticism. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the internet helps a bit with that. We seem to have more constructive criticism. I feel like if it, you can get down to a one-on-one conversation online, maybe. But I think when you bring in the mob mentality of like the comment section, it can get really difficult to have it can. A, a conversation. It gets difficult, yes. But it mostly gets difficult because it becomes a flood of like both contradictory information mm-hmm. but also just the same thing over and over and over and becomes a parroting issue mm-hmm. um, I <laughs> I very much dislike that there's so much information about piercing online for yeah. piercers um, without a lot of context mm-hmm. even though people try to apply context in a lot of ways um, because it just becomes this issue of uh, parroting like I said or the lack of critical thought about why one practices what they practice Mm -hmm. because especially if you comment if you're if you're someone who's a knowledgeable piercer and you're commenting frequently online you be it becomes habitual and you just say the same thing to the same questions and it starts to it starts to become whittled down over time to the most simple version of the answer Mm -hmm. that you gave six months ago the elevator pitch right which was paragraphs upon paragraphs and now it's three sentences Mm -hmm. about i do this because it's good right and but piercers, they pick that up very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then they they themselves start to, because they feel like they learned it from someone high up in, on the ladder of piercing, they too start to position themselves uh, on that ladder in a way that I don't think is proper. Um, not to say that they shouldn't be proud that they're learning. Again, it's so... It's, it's, it's like factions. It's like yeah. faction warfare because you have... I see it... With some of the, the the really well-known names when it comes to health and safety topics, the Brian Skellies, the Jeff Saunders's, uh, when people start to talk about things like skin prep or sterile gloves or something like that, they're very rarely referencing the information that the other people have referenced. They very rarely say, well, there's this study mm-hmm. and then, then there's this and then there's an FDA recommendation for this and this is it's right on the product label exactly mm-hmm. what you should be doing with it. A lot of people don't say that. They take the argument that they saw a person say where they were maybe citing things and just like you said, they boil it down to it gets to the thing where they're just like, yeah, but Brian Skelly said, mm-hmm. so that's why, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's not a very good way to, to argue your point. Because it's a terrible way to argue point. <laughs> especially if someone else on the other side, emotion coming into it, if they don't particularly like the person you're referencing mm-hmm. or if they've disagreed with that person on any number of other subjects, mm-hmm. they might just be dismissive 
of the really well thought out argument that that person might have made that influenced this other person. Mm -hmm. But then that person has distilled it down just into just do it because they said to do it. Right. And then you have the problem when that becomes your norm. You you are using information you're getting from other piercers. That other piercer likely is going to adjust and grow their opinion mm -hmm. and not necessarily make those adjustments public or talk about them until maybe even years down the line. Mm -hmm. And so you're just parroting this information constantly over and over. You're telling your clients, you're, you're, you're establishing it within your studio where this other person has already moved past that. And it's because you're, like you said, they had the sources. And if you're not able to kind of reference and see where they're getting their information and then continuing to try and follow that path, you're going to be stuck mm -hmm. and, and you won't know about it. And then someone's going to come along two years later and be like, oh, yeah, you, you still, you know, use needle blanks. Don't you know we have yeah, like yeah. these crystal chandeliers sure. that yeah. do super piercings? You don't have your laser harness on today? Right. Yeah. You know, and, and now you're feeling ostracized because you're like, well, I I was told this. Mm -hmm. Like I was right. And now they're saying you're wrong and it becomes super emotional. The other problem when it, in, a, when it, in a situation like that is what's right and wrong evolves over time. Right. So if you, if you're a, a, maybe a, as an example, a piercer who only comes to conference once every three to five years, you might come and you might sit down in a class that was really well prepared by a, a great instructor. They've cited resources, all these different things. And then five years later, maybe something has changed. You know, disinfectants are, are a really good one. You know, oh, oh, well that product doesn't exist anymore. Now we're using this. And, and then if somebody hears your five year information, They'll, they'll be dismissive of it. Mm -hmm. What I like to do uh, in, in classes, especially classes that I'm teaching, is I like to say all the generations of information that came before it and why I'm at this generation now. You know, I'll, I like to reference things like, oh yeah, I used to do this. It was a really bad idea because of this. And then this is why I got onto this thing. Mm -hmm. I don't just like to say, I do this thing and make it seem like I've done that the whole time. Mm -hmm. and, and it's good to, to address the historicity of certain uh, procedural aspects of what you do as a professional. It's also important though, when you're having those conversations where you're like, well, I, I did this, this is why I don't, I now do this and this is why. When someone says, well, I use this like you did and I don't say have the issues that you are having. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I hear you, but you're, again, vernacular, not say you're wrong, but you are doing something right. less safe. Evolve your opinion. Yeah, you need to you need to really understand that there is a better way, mm -hmm. and that feels like an attack to a lot of people. Sure, and it's not necessarily attack, but it, it is a, a debate. It is a discourse mm -hmm. which has certain connotations of confrontation to it. And if you're refusing to say like I think you're wrong, not again vernacular, but mm -hmm. in a sense you're doing a disservice to the industry. Yeah. You know, I I really don't think that people should be completely open uh, to the idea that, well, that's their, their point of view, thus it's valid. Mm. I think they should be open to the point of view, and if they have a reasoned argument to make against it, they should make that argument. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, that would be a, a good example. Um, using... Uh, seam rings and fresh piercings. Sure. Um, if you're someone who does it and has great success with it, mm -hmm. and then you uh, and you advocate, you're like, you're, I'm totally fine with this, and you have the other person who makes the argument that they're not safe, that these are the issues. Those two people should be able to have the conversation 
and, and discuss why it is that they do or don't do mm-hmm. and, or use or don't use that piece of jewelry. Instead, we have one group that says, well, you're just you're just not very good at using them. Um, and right. the other that says, oh, well, you know, you're just hurting your clients. Mm-hmm. Like that becomes this emotional attack against them. Yeah. Instead of like, well, let me explain mm-hmm. like how to bend these. This is why you're having this issue. Well, you see, I, I recognize that that's an issue, but the jewelry make manufacturers make it this way. That's why it makes that hard. Like mm-hmm. there's no, there's no discussion happening. Yeah. And this is over a ri- a huge range of topics. And it, it starts to become really complicated. And when you get into things that have serious implications and really strong emotional ties, like is it ethical to pierce toddlers, mm-hmm. you know? And we're talking about conversations that start to delve into things like culture and religion. And it, it becomes so complicated that piercers just refuse to have it. And I th- hate that that it was going to become the norm. It really seems like it will be like we, there's certain subjects we can't talk about. Yeah. And thankfully this year, there's a lot of classes, um, that kind of just go into why we should be having these conversations. Um, the cultural competency and inclusion class was, was one great. of them yeah. where, you know, it was, we have to have these candid and open conversations. Cause if you don't, you're, you're basically just letting the problem perpetuate itself. And I think that, piercers should be less afraid and more open to having conversations and the, the piercers have very strong opinions about it you know going back to the piercing toddlers and culture like they should be willing to have the conversation with the ones who say it's unethical when you're on the side of ethics mm-hmm. it's an ethical act without jumping to like simplified well you just don't understand or yeah. you know if it's a cultural issue like you're 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 being a racist mm-hmm. and you can't have you can't have an opinion on this because you're not part of a group whatever it may be um, we should be able to have those conversations because it, it benefits the entirety of the industry yeah and if we don't want to benefit the entirety of the industry why, why are we, we even doing it yeah you know? uh, some of the things that gets a little bit difficult to to really engage a topic online is that you have talking about foundation and building on a foundation all that stuff you have people that just walk by and they want to just put a brick on the pile and they're like I want to help build this and mm-hmm. it's like wait, just hold on a second please and it gets really difficult to, to make a point sometimes because yeah. you might have people that are adding to your point but maybe inaccurately and then you have other people that are picking apart your point before you can even finish making it or, mm-hmm. or give your data or whatever your reasoning behind it is and it gets really tough it uh, does comments replies to comments all these different things <laughs> yeah. and yeah I, I touched upon it in my article. Um, I think that there's a lot of benefit to the online community um, because it it allows people in certain positions in the industry to engage with others, and um, that has a, a positive effect. It, it can't not have a positive effect. Um, but you're you're right when it comes to people coming into the conversation late in the game. Mm. They feel entitled to express in their opinion because everyone else is. Yeah. And they lack the ability to step back, recognize that they may need to acquaint themselves with the points being made mm-hmm. or the foundation that's been established before they start throwing the bricks on that pile. Yeah. And uh, on the other side of that, you know, I think the people should be calling that action out, you know? Mm-hmm. Again, I don't want to ostracize anyone, but I really do want to make it apparent from people in power that they should be part of the conversation, but they 
should do in a certain way. There it yeah. really is a way to properly have a discourse. Mm-hmm. Um, yelling your opinion from a rooftop is not a proper way to, to get it out there. Yeah. You know? um, but again, it's such a complicated subject. And I, I know I'm explaining it very poorly in my article, it, you know, no, I, touches upon it. I kind of got the feeling you were going for. It, it's just a very, this is a nuanced conversation. Sure. Absolutely. And I know there's plenty of people who disagree with me. And I hope that they engage me, you know, to try and. I I can't really see where where people would really disagree unless they felt attacked by the concept. Sure, you know, but I I think it's easy to feel attacked by the concept Mm. because it encompasses almost everybody. Yeah, you know, I I think we're all responsible and we're all guilty of making the mistakes that I think we shouldn't be making. Mm -hmm. Um, myself included. I by no means think I'm perfect at this or even relatively great at this <laughs> or good or, or decent at it. but it, I feel like people should understand that yes you may not be the best but you need to practice and you mm-hmm. need to really focus you need to push yeah. everyone needs to fucking push yeah if any piercer believes that what they're doing is good enough you are you're you're bad for the industry right it's really as simple as that I think there are all these different generational moments in my own career where just to put it really bluntly, like straight white American male, like I've always been really confident in myself, you know, my whole life, my whole career. And there were definite points in my career that I can look back on where it's like I was doing something and at the moment I felt supremely confident that I was the best in my area Mm -hmm. and that I had so much to share with other people that weren't at that level or whatever. And it was external thread jewelry and it was bad sterilization and it was poor cross-contamination control and all those things. And then you skip ahead five years and I'm supremely confident of what I'm doing then, but it's a completely different process and system. And now, you know, I'm very confident in what I'm doing, but I try to stay as open as I can. Whenever I talk to other piercers, I really want to know everything they're doing different than me and why and what's their success and all that stuff because I'm constantly looking for the next better thing. I always tell people like everything I do is the best I can do it until I learn the next thing and then that's just the way I do it. I I always want to be able to do that. People can be confident in their their practices, you know, especially if they're ignorant of better options. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a confidence issue, I don't think. It's more of a complete disregard for further information. Like, or well, my, my confidence if, never stopped me from trying right. to get better. You can be confident and want to be better. Yeah. You know, and that's never an issue. There's always something better. We will mm-hmm. never reach peak safety or whatever. Sure. It's new materials will be made mm-hmm. and, and new jewelry designs and new techniques. It's evolving all the time. God only knows there'll be robots in 10 years who you can program and does piercings for you in the perfect sterile field and the, the human becomes sterile. Who knows? Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of crazy shit that can happen. But it's those who recognize that there may be, I'm going to use the term safe. There's a safer option, mm-hmm. but they don't, they don't care. Sure. You know, I've seen that plenty of times. I've seen that where you, you, you go around the world and you'll, you'll meet people kind of in different categories. You'll meet someone who's, they're doing the absolute best they can. They're mm-hmm. limited by things like budget or region or sure. clientele or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then you also meet people that are in the same area who have done whatever they've had to do and they've they've imported something, you know, we have the only statum in the country. We have, we're the only shop that uses sterile gloves and like they're doing it and it hurts for them to do it. You know, mm-hmm. money is, is a really big thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
they're they're doing it because they've seen that like yeah there is safe and then there's safer um, the the piercers who don't have those things I'm not going to say that they're inherently unsafe because they don't have those things it's really just the, it's the difference of do you know that there is a safer and do you are you striving towards it and if you just like if you same as what you said if you know that there are those things out there and maybe you do have the access or the ability to get it and you make the conscious decision of and eh, this is fine mm-hmm. yeah I, I can definitely see that that's a significant absolutely issue. One can't dismiss that there are people who can't do certain things. Right. It, there, there are so many boundaries mm. to doing things at, let's say, the highest tier that we would, as, as an industry, consider to, to to be the safest option that mm. we can possibly do for our clients. Um, I would never dismiss someone who can't afford sterile gloves. Sure. You know, I'd rather you use gloves that are non-sterile mm. than you know, like use sterile gloves but it makes you unable to afford quality jewelry or whatever sure. you know making the trade-offs i would there's there's definitely a spectrum on what's important safety wise to be building towards mm-hmm. um certain things definitely are like small little tweaks some of them may even be like negligible mm-hmm. in the 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 difference that they make in the, the piercing the you end, know yeah um but there are some that are just not safe mm-hmm. you know if, if you're using uh-huh. un or let's, let's do an extreme example. If you're reusing needles client to client, that is an unsafe practice. Sure. I don't care if you can't afford new needles. Yeah, you you shouldn't you be shouldn't doing it. You if know, you can't afford it. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. there, there's definitely <laughs> procedures and policies in place in studios that are unsafe, unethical, unsound, mm-hmm. unreasonable, and they should not be doing those. That there, there are those lines. But then you start to get into those gray areas where subtle changes, like do you anodize the jewelry before you put it in? You know, perfect example. Do you um, what 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 grade of steam cleaner are you using? Mm-hmm. You know, is your ultrasonic designed to to work in this way versus mm-hmm. this way, or do you use like an old like Midmark M9 or a Statum? Like this penetrates this and this does mm-hmm. that. Like there's there's all these little things that start to make very small differences. Some are safer, yeah. of course, but those those don't qualify as like you should stop piercing (laughs) sure Um, although i think some of the piercers that have gotten to that level in their career sometimes the way they articulate their points uh is is ineffective when they're talking to someone who is much earlier on in their career so so, sometimes when i see when i see people instructing if they everything they're doing in the presentation is like Yes, I, I either do that or I completely agree or understand the concept of why. But it seems that sometimes piercers, they they get to a certain point where everything on their checklist has gone from safe to safer. And now they're just like, they're hunting stuff down and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome to see that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I think the people that they're transferring that information to, they only see it as like a... All right, so what do you... What now? Like, I'm trying as hard as I can. Like, I've gotten in this skin prep, which I think is a huge benefit to my studio. But now you're saying like, if I don't anodize everything, like that's not safe. Or if I'm not Mm -hmm. using this disposable transfer pin system thing, instead of my, my tools, like now you're telling me that I'm unsafe and I just learned how to process these tools in your class last year. Right. Stuff like that. It can be frustrating. It can be. And especially when you're using vernacular, like safe and unsafe. Sure. I like say, like you said, safe and safer. There's Mm -hmm. that spectrum. Yeah. There's, there's obviously with all the different variables, there's going to be the line from safe 
to unsafe. Mm -hmm. Once you cross that threshold, it, sure. it becomes a lot more. For me, it's small. all about yeah the minimum standards and yeah. then what you build off of that. Yeah, and that that's why I think that you know you can reasonably roll back minimum standards mm -hmm. and it still constitutes something safe. Um, not saying the APB should, then they won't. But <laughs> you know, th there's a reason argument to make there. Um, but you go into like, well, we should make sterile gloves a minimum standard. It's like, well, I I use sterile gloves. I we also use, use a completely gloves. aseptic technique. Mm -hmm. You know, like we go as far as we can to make it as safe as possible. But I don't know if I would even want that to be a minimum standard. Mm -hmm. Just it, I I think that minimum in its very definition that does not sterile gloves don't meet that definition. Right. You know. Um, but again, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. Which I hope someone has with you. <laughs> I, well, okay. So I've tried to to um, create that conversation and moderate or nurture that conversation. And I think the way that I did it, I, I tried to do it at Camp APP. I did it in a very ineffective way because all it did was spark emotion uh, and not the right venue for it. You know, <laughs> But it's, it's difficult because I think sometimes as soon as you say the one triggering statement, uh, I don't think st sterile gloves should be a minimum standard. Immediately, it's just someone has put up their defenses and it's just, but they they are my minimum. And I'm just like, yeah. I, that's awesome. They're my minimum standards too. But the organization that you're a member of or you know, you're know you supporting, it's not their minimum standards. Mm -hmm. I don't want to intimidate the piercers who are still pushing that boulder up the hill mm -hmm. and say mm -hmm. like, you know, here's an extra boulder for you. Sure. Start pushing harder. Yeah. And I, th that's, that's reasonable. I think that, again, it, it goes back to really trying to understand what certain terms mean what does minimum standard mean um even i wouldn't even say like this is our minimum standard in our our studio i would say this is our standard mm -hmm. like it's not a minimum it is the standard yeah. if we could go higher that would become the standard mm -hmm. it's not a minimum we don't go less than or right. over we go as well there's also the the concept of minimum standards and best practices yeah and I, would, so. and I like to use like terms like harm reduction, mm -hmm. like when you're considering what kind of processes to bring in your studio, where do they reduce the most harm, mm -hmm. and which ones make a negligible effect. If something doesn't have a reasonable effect on what you do, or even it gets into like theory, like mm -hmm. this theoretically would have a huge benefit, yeah. or something like that. If you can't make the reason argument, you know you have wiggle room there, mm -hmm. like it. it and then it just becomes, well, this is our policy, you know, like even if it's like, well, I, I don't really know why we do it mm -hmm. or, you know, it's a really small effect, but this is our policy as sure. long as it's not un, an unreasonable request. But again, right. there's a lot of, a lot of little pinpoints in, mm -hmm. in there that For make sure, it complicated yeah. to talk about. But I think having those conversations is important. I, I would say maybe would be fun to listen to would be like a debate between two people that you moderate. There's there's piercers out there I think can have civil conversations about this kind of stuff. Potentially, yeah. Uh, it would be it would be much harder to find the person who is on the sterile gloves don't need to be a minimum standard because I think a lot of their I think a lot of those people are like the it's good enough like how you know when it when is enough enough and I think that's going to be that argument and then the other side is always going to be well you can always try harder or do better and mm -hmm. improve. Sure. And it's difficult to moderate a conversation like that because if you. If you stop and think about it, it's kind of like, well, I can see the validity in both of your points, you know, and I can see the holes in both of your points, and it's it's difficult. I I think I would get punched by two people rather than one person if <laughs> yeah. I moderated something like that. Yeah, I mean, sure, it is about finding that common vernacular that makes it so difficult. But mm -hmm. also, once you find it, it makes it much easier to have those conversations. Yeah, and I, I think that 
piercers, if they want to really be influential, should learn to do that, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I think that that is a great benefit of our industry. Anyone can be an influencer, Mm -hmm. you know, positive or negative. I I see it a lot, especially this week. I have all these great one-on-one conversations with people, passing them in the hall or just hanging out with them, having food. And a lot of the people, the ones that aren't already volunteers, aren't already writing articles, teaching classes, doing committee work, a lot of them almost seem to be like waiting for someone to hand them their opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I understand that there are definitely privileged piercers. Absolutely. I'm one of them, you know? Uh, where it's much easier if I said like I have an idea or a concept that I want to present Mm -hmm. I I have access to that and I have the privilege to do that Mm -hmm. but I think that a lot of other piercers need to realize that a big part of leadership is just leading you know and if you if you want to be involved in those conversations and if you want to spread good information peer-reviewed information like something that you can actually cite as a resource just just get in just get involved in it you know try not to just fall into a camp or try to fall into a faction but at a certain point people are going to start to have to create the conversations that they that they want to see and hear out there it's true and you're right it is very complicated because some people are going to have the opportunities more than others there's going to be some piercers who get accepted into well-known shops Mm -hmm. or there's going to be those who have connections within the field uh and I, I say in my article that you can't you really can't befriend yourself into those higher positions and what i mean by that specifically is that if you're someone who just has shit ideas mm-hmm. and but your friend is super well respected and stuff it's not likely that those shit ideas are going to become acceptable practice yeah you, you might be you know someone who can who can get into a lot of ears but Overall, you're not going to be like, oh yeah, that guy, he's he's got it all figured out, mm-hmm. or they're coming across so so persuasive. I'm totally down with yeah. switching back to externally threat drawer, you know, and that's what I mean. But you're right, it's very difficult sometimes because there are there's there's the ability to come in and be like, hey man, well, you, you know you know Jeff Saunders, I need to talk to him. It's mm-hmm. like cool, let's go. Versus someone is like, uh, hi, in my first year, I, yeah. I would like to talk to the president, please. <laughs> I, I did that to somebody yesterday. Um, I was talking to them, and they had one of the first-time attendees badges, and they're like, oh, I would, I would really love to talk to that person, but they're, and I was just like, oh, okay, come on over, and I was like, hey, you, come here. This person would like to meet you, and then just that's a hard thing to do, yeah. you know. And yeah. I totally respect that most people, and most people who I guess would come to conference is, is a little more accurate. Um, really do lack the opportunity and sure. we have to be respectful of that and yeah, i i absolutely i don't i don't think the piercing industry should be run as a popularity contest um it's done that long enough right it has <laughs> and sometimes it, there's periods where it gets far far worse but um i i think that people should recognize that even if they do lack certain opportunities that they don't lack merit in and of themselves as a piercer or a voice or a voice and then they people should really and so again the nuance in this i do understand my privilege level um and i do understand that even though i work very hard for where i'm at Mm -hmm. i do have benefits and going back to that cultural uh inclusion class you know that's something we have to recognize we don't have a choice of it we have to recognize it um and those that don't have the same opportunities as me don't don't then have less intrinsic value uh, 
in the within the industry. Mm-hmm. It, it is unfortunate that some people do require more work to get to the same spot. Yeah. And if there was an easy way to fix that, I don't think anyone would be opposed to it. But I, I want people to not be discouraged by that mm. that that difference. And I really do hope that people can take the opportunity to just read a few books on how to like r- rhetoric, you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, how to. I'm pretty sure there's a class on how to influence people this year. Yeah, I, t- I, I just took it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like like there's there's if you're if you're willing to put in that kind of time to really get some some base understanding on how to really engage with your peers mm-hmm. and your colleagues, like that's what we all are. No one is above someone else as far as like our positioning within the industry, unless you allow them to be. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone could be the next Ryan will let, you know? Right. Hey, thank yeah. you for pronouncing my name correctly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I really do hope that in my article, I argued well that there's differences between elite and elitist. There are elite. Mm-hmm. You can be part of it. Anyone listening can be a part of that group. Yeah. If they're willing to have the proper conversations in the proper way and that the elite who hopefully are listening as well, are open to criticism they're open to changing their minds they are not going to become uh, a, an individual that pushes against those trying to make positive changes yeah even if they view it you know as something that is detrimental like you you have to then intrinsically push it in the right way you have to fix that problem mm-hmm. like you ha- you are responsible there are yeah. there are piercers you're one of them that have responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of power to hold. That's that's also you know an important thing to have in the industry is people who are willing to take that and do positive with it. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are listening too. You're a fucking elitist. You know who you are. <laughs> if you if you can't take criticism whatsoever, or you walk out of conversations that you don't like, sure, take you're my a ball fucking elitist. Yeah, you are an elitist. You are bad for the industry. Yeah, I agree. And I'm I will. I, I want someone to argue against that point. <laughs> I try to where I can, and I try to keep myself as open to other opinions as possible. And I'm, I'm very staunch in some of my opinions, and I'll, I'll debate someone, but sure. it's a, I try to make it a debate and not an argument. There you go. Yeah. There, there's a very, if, you, if you're willing to have the discourse, that's already a positive over some people. Yeah. And some people are, are very influential, and they, I, there's no names. There's instances, but it's no names. But the people who are like that, they're known to be like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that has its place, especially, as you're saying, when you're a staunch defender about this is okay and this is why. But then they just fucking shut off, man. Mm-hmm. I hate that. The, the, the thing that I see, too, is they'll have a debate and they'll have their... Their info. I, I like to use the analogy of like a deck of cards all the time. Their deck is it's it's good, but uh, it's not as ample as it needs to be sometimes. And when somebody can pull out a card that they don't have, it, even if it's the correct information, a lot of times they'll just be like, "Oh well," bleh, and they just dismiss it. Yeah, because they want to hold their position almost, mm-hmm. and they want to hold that elite tier over other people. And sometimes. Right. That's all the elites have is just their position. They don't necessarily have the skill or the knowledge to back it up. And that's where it, it crosses the threshold between elite and elitism. Sure. You know, when you, when you look down on someone strictly because they have a different opinion, mm-hmm. you're an elitist. Like, yeah. That you believe you have 
some kind of value that they don't have mm-hmm. strictly because you have that value. It's a, it, it, it perpetuates itself yeah. and uh, it needs to be pushed back against. I really do hope piercers push back against that. I, I, I think that we have the voice collectively, especially those that aren't part of that tier, mm-hmm. to say like, come on. This is not okay. Right. Like, there's this thing. Please yeah. listen and or or make your argument better, not mm-hmm. just, well, I've been pierced for twenty years, sure. no one's died. Sure. Totes okay then. But please, anybody listening, no more no more call outs though, because I don't think that that's effective. It's but not. but starting a conversation or a debate and it's it's not a call out to say, Hey, I, I disagree, but can you clarify your, yeah. your point? Maybe I just don't understand your point correctly. That's not call out culture, but no. don't just say this person's a piece of shit. Right. You know, like yeah. that, that in and of itself is not discourse. Right. <laughs> and again, you know, it, it's, it's totally reasonable to, to expect piercers to take the time to get off social media, mm-hmm. read a book yeah. <laughs> and, and learn how to have these conversations. Yeah. And there are piercers amongst us who uh, will, will gladly recommend ways to get that information mm-hmm. there are some very very learned piercers oh yeah there i'm uh, one of our LDs. He, he's a he's working on his phd in philosophy that's phenomenal really like yeah which one uh i'm i'm afraid of mispronouncing his name uh he's from the czech republic um uh yeah i i, I will also yeah <laughs> pronounce his name because i will screw it up yeah um but he he's it's phenomenal to think that this level of individual is, is here volunteering. And there's so many more. I've talked to quite a few of them, um, you know, concerning things like ethics in the body piercing industry and what that entails and conversations we need to have. They're all over the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll find them when you start having these conversations amongst our, when we have these conversations, you, they, they come out and not to say that they're, you know, the leaders in the intellectual part of our industry, but you know, they're, they're there to help guide and then you can then use that to help them and help others. Like it's, it's all, there's a lot of reciprocity in what mm-hmm. we do and being dismissive of ideas is negative. Um, and anyone who wants to just live in that little bubble that they've created or, or hold the deck of cards that they have without being receptive to anything else please reconsider your point <laughs> like your position and and try to try to work for us not not against us sure you know? and I, I would also just like to point out that like I am a better piercer and a better person for accepting other people's points of view and yeah. learning from them like even even in the workshop like I get to certain points in the the safe practices workshop where I like to say I do this now because someone in this class, brought it up as a yeah. debate and said, mm-hmm. well, why are you doing that? And I, I didn't have a good answer. And I was like, you know what? I never really thought about it. I mm-hmm. just did it out of habit. And now I've evolved all these different things in my practice and I'm way better for it for mm-hmm. having those debates. I'm pretty sure Jeff Saunders wrote an article on his website about how to critically examine your positions. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be shocked by that at all. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Or maybe it was something he posted on the learning forum. I can't remember. I would, I would, I'm going to ask him. <laughs> I wish I had the reference, but... I'm pretty sure there's one about understanding like if you're going to hold a position, you need to know why you're holding that position. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what critical thinking is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if anyone, if it is out there on the interwebs, look it up. 
Well, uh, this is probably a good place to, to wrap it up. I really want to thank you for, for talking to me and yeah, having this conversation. Thank you for it was good. It also, I think it'll be really helpful for me because sometimes I try to have, sometimes I try to steer people where I just want to spark a debate. Not an argument, but I want to spark a debate. And I, I think I'll have some, some better ways to, to do that and, and make it a little bit more productive in the future. Yeah, um, I just, I, I want people to talk. Yeah, that's great. So for the the people listening, um, where do they find you in the real world or online? I'm not online. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, honestly, I'm very hard to reach. <laughs> okay. Uh, you can email me, jacob.spute, S-P-J-U-T, at gmail.com if you want to have conversations. Um, I do technically have a Facebook page. People can find me on there, but I ne- not I have zero friends and I don't, I don't use Smart. it. <laughs> yeah. So... Please, if you have friended me and I don't respond to it, that's why I don't. I just don't use it, okay. and that's not me being elitist. I get, I get sucked Believe into me. it like anyone else. I get so. it. It's addictive, just <laughs> yeah, like an, anything else. It's an addiction I have to avoid. Yeah. Uh, and where's your studio? Where's Prism at? Prism is in Des Moines, Iowa. Well, technically West Des Moines, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, we okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks for talking to me. All right, so uh, good interview, Jacob. I would assume I haven't listened to it in a few days because it's taken me a while to actually finish putting together this episode. Uh, last night, I like finally finished all of like the little minutia that goes along with teaching at a, a seminar. Um, I took all the four classes. I had to see. I make all my classes in Google Slides. That's what a lot of the APP instructors do. Uh, it's it's free and it's basically kind of like a, a PowerPoint type program. Uh, but it's not 100% perfectly compatible with PowerPoint. So uh, you make the slideshow, you add in all the instructor notes, you can share it with other people, they can tweak it online, it's all cloud storage, blah, blah, blah. But then when you download it as an actual PowerPoint, sometimes pictures can be missing, fonts can be off, slides can be totally blank for some reason. So I had to spend like a couple hours last night downloading all the individual presentations that I've been working on for a couple of weeks, making sure that they're actually compatible uh, with PowerPoint, replacing any sort of missing material that's gone. It didn't take a ton of time, but it took about an hour per class. And when it's four classes and when you're like three days away from leaving, uh, it feels like a lot of time. So uh, I finished all that stuff last night. I uh, made redundant backups of everything. I made some stuff on like a, a thumb drive just in case and all that stuff. So I've got my laptop. I've got all my digital crap ready. Um, but I am personally not ready. I have to finish packing some clothes, I would suppose. I'm going to need those in Russia. And I have to do a couple things around my house. I have to actually clean up. It's tough because I haven't been home for more than a three-week stretch in the last year and a half. And it's totally by my own choosing. So I don't want to make it sound like whiny, like, oh my God, it's difficult to keep up with this because I could just stop traveling. But uh, sometimes it's a little bit tough for me to get back into my routine at home where like, you know, washing dishes and buying groceries and mowing my lawn, which is what I have to do this morning. I've got uh, two hours until I have to go to work today. I'm piercing all day today and all day tomorrow before I'm gone. Uh, And I have to find some time to mow my goddamn lawn. So that's that's my stressor for today. So thanks for listening to the Piercing Wizard podcast. Uh, Tune in next week. I will be back from Russia, but I have no idea what the episode will be. I might record something in Russia and then edit it on the flight home because it's like an 11-hour flight. But uh, thanks for listening, et cetera, et cetera. See you next week. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. 
For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved. <laughs>